Welcome back to A People's Guide to Publishing. I'm Joe Beal, the founder and CEO of Microcosm Publishing and Distribution. I'm also the author of A People's Guide to Publishing, which distills what I've learned from selling millions of books over the past 25 years. I'm Ellie Blue. I'm the Editorial and Marketing Director here at Microcosm. We are an independent midlist publisher based in Portland, Oregon and Cleveland, Ohio. We have over 700 books, over 25 employees, and we make about 40 new books every year. And we distribute thousands of titles from other publishers. We started this podcast so that we can share what we've learned with newer publishers so that you can learn from our mistakes. Or maybe you just want to understand the publishing industry. This week, we welcome back Guy LeCharles Gonzalez for a third recurring episode what lucky people we are here in 2023. We are going to talk this time around about building a publisher platform, which I thought of as something that everybody does because we did it in 96. But as I thought about it for roughly five seconds, I was like, right, no publishers do that. Why is it important for publishers to build a platform key? Uh, first and foremost, so you can be found. So you have some level of control over being discovered. The source of the publishing industry is built on intermediaries. And when you say platform, do you mean that like in opposition to like Amazon's platform or how do you mean that exactly? I think the definition will vary by what type of publisher you are. You know, at its core, you know, in 2023, if you don't have a basic website with, you know, who you are, the books you publish, key metadata, like that's got to be the core. You don't have to be in direct-to-consumer sales. Like a lot of people mistake that step for, oh, you don't have a platform if you're not selling direct. But when people look you, your authors, your books up, you want to be visible in search. Ideally, you want to be on that first page. For a long time, publishers neglected that, and Amazon and later Goodreads and Amazon uh, basically owned the search results. Bloggers were really good for a long time. So you'd look for a book and maybe you'd get a few reviews. I'd say it's only been the past five years that individual publishers and individual authors own websites are popping up in search results. Um, a bad author, you'll find their Twitter platform as the number one search result rather than their own website. Um, and I've seen some publishers where their social media platform is ranked higher in search than their website because their own website is treated as an afterthought. It's like a basic contact page or it's image heavy with not enough text for search to kind of um, key into. So at its base, a platform first and foremost is where can people go to find you either because they're specifically looking for you or because they're looking for something that you're relevant to. As, I, you know, I'm a firm believer that search is still relevant. Um, as big as social has gotten, I think people have SEO started to become social engine marketing instead of search engine uh, optimization, rather. Um, I think search is still an important thing to be mindful of. Whether it's bookstores, librarians <clears throat> looking information about your books, readers looking for information about your books. First and foremost is that website. The other aspect of platform is how do your books get to market? Are you self-distributed? There are going to be limitations there. So your website better be super clear on how to get those books. If you're available through certain partners, if you're only available on Amazon, like figuring out your distribution model is the other important part of your platform. 
um, when I've talked about this in the past, I've often talked about it from an author perspective. How do you evaluate a potential publisher? And one of the things I always say is, you know, how are they distributed? Where and whoever's doing that, where do they rank? You know, so obviously a PRH imprint is going to be pretty solid on the distribution side because PRH is both PRH with their own distribution and their PRH, so they're going to be well represented with any of the major distributors. If you are, say, only distributed by SPD, you know, a fine distributor, but super small reach, how big are you with SPD? You may be distributed, but you're just as bad as the person who's only available on Amazon. And in some cases, maybe worse, because Amazon's got a little bigger reach than SPD, for better and worse. So that distribution side, you know, understand where you sit with your distributor. How are you being represented when they go to different uh, sales uh, initiatives? Are you invited to those sales meetings to pitch your books? Or are you, depending on a sales rep, who's also representing 12 other publishers, so maybe two of your books are getting a mention at those sales meetings with Barnes & Noble or <clears throat> Specialty. I know you guys are big on the specialty check versus other. Oh yeah, you know we're distributed through Ingram. Uh, okay, that's fine for traditional bookstores and some libraries, but if your book is not for that audience, then that's not necessarily the best uh, platform for your work. So that online presence, <clears throat> your distribution model, and then the third thing is is that consumer marketing. Whether you're selling the book yourself or not. Direct-to-consumer marketing to me is important for every publisher. I, I often point to comics in the old days. Um, comics never, you know, I mean, you could subscribe to comics. That was not a big part of the comics business model. But comics spoke to their readers as if they were dependent on subscription. And so the editorial pages, you know, th their whole persona was about engaging with their readership. Uh, magazines historically have always done that well because of subscription models. Books don't, historically, book publishers have not been great. Past 10 years, huge growth in that area. Now it's harder to find a publisher not at least doing a decent job uh, versus them not doing it at all. But I've come across a lot of smaller uh, publishers who have zero concept about how to market to their potential readers. And they've just got the basics. They've got a website, maybe they've got a Twitter feed. I came up, you know, in punk rock, and then before I did this, I ran a record label, and so like I think that's why platform made so much sense to me is because I was like, you need to have a way to talk to people, you need to know who you're talking to, you need to know why they care, and you need to know like how to reach them and like what they respond well to, and so I mean I think that's why I had so much trouble getting into bookstores for those like first ten years is because they were like who are you you know Whereas, like the the audience and like the actual people buying the books were like this is awesome you know yeah. and it was like we were doing zero marketing to the trade and side we were getting library orders but we were not you know it was just like other than Powell's it was just like bookstores were not a market we could reach, you know? So it was like specialty and, you know, what is now called specialty, <laughs> we had no name back then, right. you know? And then, but so I, I guess other than our like broken model that like accidentally worked, why 
like is this such a struggle for publishers so i i think the if you're coming at it from the traditional publishing perspective it's you're so focused on bookstores and distribution and intermediaries that your own platform that is your platform like oh we've got to get you know ingram if we've got ingram distribution we've made it self-published authors are the same like oh i'm up on amazon i've made it. it's like okay you, you you're just available to be bought you haven't made anything how do people find out about you so you know your model the way you came up when i was in the poetry slam scene the that was always a fascinating so while i was doing poetry slam i was working for poets and writers and academy of american poets in my day job and the academy of american poets hated poetry slam so much like when in my interview i was told you realize if you get this job you keep that outside like th this is no endorsement of poetry slam it's like it never crossed my mind that it would be but <laughs> Good, good to know that there's such an antagonistic. <laughs> so I actually wrote an article for Poets and Writers about the slam scene in 98, 99. That quote, you know, the CEO of Academy of American Poets said something nice about what Poetry Slam was doing, reaching the community, building an audience for poets. He, the board lost their mind. He almost lost his job for saying that publicly, that Poetry Slam might be a good thing. So. I always look back to that as that tension between there's the traditional approach publishers think of this platform and it's all about engaging with the intermediaries, readers are secondary, <clears throat> and newer publishers who are either coming into the publishing world already with a platform. So you guys were doing your thing and publishing books became, in the traditional model, became like a second step for you the soft skull who published so in the poetry slam uh in 98 we won with the new york and poets cafe we won uh the national poetry slam and soft skull published an anthology of us and that was my first personal introduction to the book publishing world and i don't know if you remember the early days of soft skull if you guys were uh contemporaries oh, yeah. um he had a little store. He was very much tied into the local music scene. He had a platform that was absolutely not traditional publishing um, and had its flaws as a result from a traditional publishing perspective. But he was publishing interesting books that a community wanted that he could sell to ultimately through a store that they opened themselves. But he was selling them at shows and everything similar to you guys. So the even though I put it third, reaching your readers, like to me, the end of the day, knowing where your readers are and how to engage and where they buy is the most important part of your platform that then will drive other decisions. There are some publishers out there like, I don't need a website. They might be right, depending on their category and their reach and the communities, or you know, they might be completely on Reddit you know, and selling eBooks through Amazon and have a thriving business that we'll never hear of. And that's absolutely valid, but they built their platform. It's in Reddit and highly subjective, you know, subject to Reddit random decisions, but they've got something there. Um, so I always start with readership. And some of that, again, is coming out of the magazine world. That has always been kind of my focus. The And then the slam experience was the other, that direct engagement, both as someone running a series and building an audience, but also as a 
poet. Well, the dumbest thing I ever did in my life, getting on stage to read a poem to be judged by five people in a bar, like that's stupid. But it was also fun and exciting. And there was a community there that was into it. A lot of books got published by people, mostly self-published chat books. Like I, I think I was on my fourth chat book by the time Soft Skull picked up us for winning the nationals. I didn't sell thousands of copies or whatever, but I sold enough to buy my drinks that night. That's all I was looking for. I wasn't trying to be a thriving publisher. Um, the So <clears throat> I think at the end of the day, know where your readers are and let that guide your platform decisions. You may be just fine with SPD because where you are operating, SPD is a means to an end. Whereas you may need Ingram or you may need to sign with you guys because you have a reach into specialty markets that is core for you and is maybe tertiary for England. You know? And depending on the size of publisher you are, you don't want to be in Ingram's tertiary market and you're like 87th on their priority list overall. You're just not, you're going to be in their catalog and that's it. So that to me is kind of the heart of platform. And I guess the other piece is have a clear identity, like really know who you are, which again, readership drives that. You guys have a very specific, clear identity. You have a range of categories, but you're not a generalist. You're not publishing in every category. Some of my favorite publishers have really specific areas they focus on and where they may go somewhat general, they're regional. So they may be a general approach, but it's specific to a particular region. So those to me are the more interesting platforms uh, that publishers I like and speak about, uh, you know, positively uh, have. The more boring ones are the, you know, we're big, we publish a little everything and Ingram loves us. Like, all right, that's fine. That's a business. That's a model. Um, I don't think it's exciting. I don't think it's sustainable. And I think PureH, one of the best things that came out of that was consolidation is the only way they grow. They don't know how to grow organically. You know, and Dola stepping down was kind of the like, all right, I've reached my limit. <clears throat> if I can't acquire another big one, I'm not going to be successful moving forward. So let me step out at my peak and move, you know, be interesting to see what he does next. I think he's an interesting guy. Um, but that consolidation model, at, you know, that's a platform that I think is now broken. That's and a great so now hot take. Where do you look to build it? Oh, it's been broken a while, but yeah, yeah. It has, yeah. And, but now it's broken under testimony, under oath. <laughs> that scene in The Jerk where he's holding up the phone book and he's like showing his name in the phone book and he's shouting, I exist. And I think that's like being listed on Amazon, you know? Whenever authors kind of quibble that we just tell them to ignore Amazon completely, we're like, we're sold to these 12,000 independent stores. Those are much more important than one shitty retailer you know i think you know that's like the difference between us and the big five as well as like it's just easier to grow as a mid-list i think at this point in history you might be prh's uh, next acquisition that i'm honored and offended that we have never even gotten an offer it's true no one wants to take on this beast we just don't play well with others Maybe you can relate. Familiar with it, yeah. yeah. I, I was on a recent call where people were like, how many publishers use TikTok? And I think I was like one of the 3% that does. And, you know, my use is minimal. 
But, you know, and then everybody basically said, I just don't have time, you know. So if people were to do one thing, what would you have them do? So I'll start at the most boring thing that I found both in my professional experience and personal experience, too many publishers ignore. For God's sake, clean up your metadata. Like metadata might be the most important marketing thing that publishers ignore. I deal with this at the day job. Comics publishers are awful <laughs> at metadata, um, but I saw it elsewhere. Like, you know, Library Journal, metadata was a big part of how we catalog the books we reviewed and everything. <clears throat> metadata is so critical to discovery on so many levels, regardless of who you're distributed by, what kind of websites you've got. The, that to me is the most important thing that I guarantee 80% of the people listening to this could improve their metadata significantly by paying more attention to it, understanding what's important, which channels use which metadata, who doesn't care about certain metadata and overwrites it. Um, that to me is, that would be the most, I hate the word because I don't think it's a real word, impactful thing you could do if you've got limited time, because depending on the size of your catalog, it's going to take you a while. The, the impact is measurable depending on who you're working with, they can help you with that. So it's not necessarily something you have to do on your own. I believe you guys have a proprietary system, right? That you guys use to manage your... Uh, so metadata to me is the, the like, forget social media, marketing campaigns, blah, blah, blah. Clean up your metadata first. Get your website functional so that your books can be found by you. You nail those two things, everything else then becomes gravy and you can tackle... I always tell people when it comes to social media, A, start with your readers. If your readers are on TikTok, then figure out a way that makes sense for you to be on TikTok, but also accept that right now there might not be. Some platforms are so driven by the users that there's no good fit for you. And, and that's okay. Better to not be there until it's right than to be there and look, you know, do something stupid and become the main character of the day because you didn't understand how that platform works and you decided to jump in and do something that is against that platform's current social norms that two years from now might become the norm. You know, Twitter evolved from, oh, you shouldn't promote your stuff and blah, 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 to it became a, a, a annoying marketing channel that was hard to find interesting conversations. So the social norms change, um, but zero in on what your readers use, understand how and why they use it, and then figure out how you can be useful. Not how you can sell your books, figure out how you can be useful on that platform. And if you find a way to be useful, you will sell books. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this is the number one thing that we, we you know, I, I had the horror once to find out that every single one of our books when we were with IPG was listed as a graphic novel when in reality maybe 10% of those books were actually graphic novels and I cannot tell you how that happened but so that was Ellie's first uh, month on the job was fixing tremendous amounts of that data I apologize Ellie uh, I but, like that, but you know now we are constant we, con we get constant compliments about our metadata which I'm like this is so I don't know it's like it's a weird it's like it touches me in a weird way to have that be acknowledged, you know, <laughs> you know but, but I, I think you're right. It's, it's like, and I tell people this all the time is like, if you can't tell what the book is and who it's for by looking at it, the book has already failed in the market 
because you're going to have to spend pump so much money into it that you've already lost, you know, but um, so one thing that happens is sometimes when you have a platform, you be, you have a little bit of a blip moment on the Internet and you become the person of the day. And what advice would you give to somebody when that happens to them? So I've thankfully, knock wood, never been the main character of the day. Um, come close a couple of times like, oh, shit. But I have been associated with people who have found themselves, you know, maybe the, the secondary character of the day. You know, I don't know a bean dad personally, but I know I've been in situations where someone I know has done something clearly wrong. And first is recognizing why are you, why did you become the main character of the day? Did you say something wrong? Did you do something wrong? Is it true or is it a question perception? Understand why this is happening. Don't immediately react and you know defend yourself. Read through the critical comments because <clears throat> sometimes there's a through line that you'll be able to recognize, oh, you know, I didn't think what I was doing was wrong, but X, Y, Z. So I'll use, here's a good example. I, it's far enough in the past. I think it's okay to use. School Library Journal a few years ago, after I was gone, um, came under fire for a controversial cover. And I can't even remember the specifics, but it was a combination of timing for Black History. Oh, I know what it was. It was a Black History Month issue. So it was a February issue that in SLJ's mind was not a Black History Month issue. But it's February, which traditionally in all media is Black History Month. Um, and the cover story was, I forget the exact title, but the framing was basically how to, how to help white kids read more diversely. And the picture was, there was something off about the picture too. But the the initial pushback was, no, no, this isn't, uh, this wasn't a Black History Month issue, so you're wrong. And then it was, well, that's not what we meant, so you're wrong. <laughs> back channel, I was like, guys, read through, the, you're not even responding to what people are Ooh. actually saying. Mm -hmm. Like, look at the through line of what most people are saying and speak to that, like reflect on that and at least answer that. You may disagree, but you're not even answering that. So to me is understand why it happened. Think about the difference between what you thought you were doing and how it was. Apologize legitimately, not I'm sorry if you were offended. That's the worst apology because you're putting it on like, sorry, you read this wrong, dumbass, but oops, it's, I'm sorry, I did not intend to do this, but I recognize it affected people this way anyway. If you do that, you will A, <clears throat> get a lot more goodwill than what you hope your two week later retraction and correction will gain. You will nip it in the bud because that's the thing about social media. Once it gets rolling, it's really difficult to pull it back. And your initial response is either suffocate, you know, takes the oxygen out of it or turns it into a raging fire. So, and you won't know how to respond if you haven't actually ingested what is being said. So don't respond immediately. Don't wait a day, but take it in, understand what's happened, recognize where they may be right. Because I'd say 80% of the time, you legitimately messed up.
20% misunderstanding. You still got to have some nuance in how you respond because clearly people don't believe they misunderstood you. Um, but the, the immediate defense and denial that you did anything wrong, worst way to approach it. Canned press release, worst way to approach it. If it's related to diversity, saying you're hiring a diversity expert, stop. Like we're two years past <laughs> not being the right answer. Like the so it just comes back to reflect on the criticism and don't respond until you can at least understand where they're coming from. But also don't wait more than a day to respond because it will blow so far out of proportion, you'll never be able to pull it back. Um, but also avoid it by thinking about what you're doing online. Like I think that's where most people fall into trouble is, would you say this in person, in mixed company? That's always one rule. <laughs> Good one. Do you need to say this publicly at all? Like what value does this add to any conversation? Or are you looking for attention? Because often that's what it is and you got it. Just oops, you didn't expect it to be that kind of attention. Um, and it, my, my main rule of thumb with social media in general, try to be useful. And if that's where you always start from, the chances of you becoming the main character of the day are a lot less likely because if you're trying to be useful, don't be the reply guy trying to be useful to everybody. That's the other extreme. But try and be useful, put out useful information, connect with people, have honest conversations, but also recognize social media online, it's public. You may think like we're on this podcast. Did I say something in this conversation that out of context could go wrong? I hope not. Maybe because I'm here talking to the two of you. Um, so you got to be aware of the context you're speaking in. But again, if you mess up, acknowledge you messed up and try and fix it as quickly as possible. Do not immediately be defensive and double down because you're just going to make it worse. That's great advice. Great advice you know. for when platforms go wrong. And and it is, and I think, you know, and there's lots of things that tie into that too where people get defensive because they're just not used to being on the hot seat in a lot of cases, or it's so uncomfortable that they think like putting, you know, gasoline on it will help, you know, that, and, yeah. you know, we've all witnessed this more times than we care to realize, and it's way more awkward when it's somebody that you like tertiarily know, you know, and, and like maybe have, <laughs> have seen this from them before, but um, yeah, it, and so, yeah, it, it's, and you know, so I think it's like, thank you, for providing steps that are positive rather than just glomming on to people <laughs> behaving badly. Yeah. It seems like is more the typical way of reacting to this, you know, because it's like, you know, people make mistakes and can and should recover from them. Thanks so much for joining us for all these episodes. And uh, yeah, we'll, uh, we'd love to have you again sometime. I'd love to come back. Appreciate it. The best promo is always to give a good performance and good helpful advice. But in addition to that, do you want to give a shout out to where people can find you online? So uh, I'm a firm believer of own domain. So loudpoet.com has been my website since you know, way back when, forever. But um, loudpoet.com is my website. Gila Charles is my handle pretty much on every platform of relevance. 
at the time of this recording, I'm off Twitter and embracing Mastodon, where I'm also Gila Charles. So go to loudpoet.com and you'll find where I am, including a lot of my writing. Thanks for joining us once again. Please send your questions to podcast at microcosmpublishing.com so we can answer them on future episodes. And please give us five stars on iTunes and everywhere else that podcasts are reviewed. You can find us on the internet at microcosm.pub. On Twitter at microcosm. On Facebook at microcosm publishing. On Instagram at microcosm underscore pub. And here in Portland, Oregon on North Williams Avenue. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful week.